Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where we chat with startup founders just like you from all over the globe. Each episode, we bring you practical and actionable tips to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Podbrand Media. As a business owner, new sales leads are essential. At Podbrand Media, we create a branded podcast for you to generate those leads by interviewing your best potential clients as subject matter experts. Not only creating great rapport, but also great content to share in your industry. Affordable and effective. Contact us today at podbrandmedia.com to learn more. This is Kevin Pruitt with a recap episode of Rising Tide Startups. A good friend, Nick Petros, is joining me again. And we were looking at the uh, the calendar. It was December 25th, 2019 was the last time Nick was on the, on the Rising Tide podcast. And Nick, thanks, man. Welcome back. Uh, one of the best guests we've ever had. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a tall order given your roster. We were joking about it. I was apparently wearing this exact same shirt <laughs> four years ago. So that says something about me. I need a wardrobe change. I should probably wash it too, but we'll, we'll get there when it's practical. Uh, he has 12 of those. He's like he's like Steve Jobs. He just has a coral. <laughs> yeah. All, oh yeah, all coral. Every day. Right. <laughs> exactly right. Well, it's it's been too long, but uh, remind our audience a little bit, who is Nick Petros and what do you do, my friend? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I'm Nick Petros. I'm calling in from South Florida now. We're way up north in the cold the last time we spoke. Um, I help companies figure out uh, how to establish traction, when, whether they're launching a new product or launching their business for the first time or uh, venturing into a new, uh, new market. Um, specifically, our team sells marketing execution services. Uh, so someone knows what they want to do. They just don't have all the bodies to get it done. And you know, we come in and fill in those gaps. Um, that's the pinch for side of the business. We have a little baby startup um, that you and I talked about. I was literally just launching it yeah. when we spoke the first time called My Dash. Uh, it's become a toddler and learning how to walk. Um, Dash is an integration service for businesses that consume a lot of data from different systems at the same time. Uh, we automate the whole data collection process and package it up into a really nice um, automated reporting system. So people don't have to pull their data manually or by hand anymore. Beautiful uh, so those, those two things. Yeah. And much yeah, more than good. just a dashboard, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, from the layman's eyes like mine and to look at it, I mean, it's, it's amazing the just the presentation of, and it, it's taking data that, uh, you're making it very usable for everyone along the whole chain of, of command there. But, and it's uh, there's so much yeah. that you've got going on. You just scratch the surface because I I know a little bit behind the curtain of a lot of other things that you've got your hands in <laughs> right now. But um, what does a just describe a typical day? You get up in the morning. What does a typical day look like if there is such a thing? Uh, there is. I'm I'm routine oriented. I'm one of those people who like you change one little thing and yeah, I lose my head and you know like like the the dog who barks at the new plant that's in the hallway for two hours before realizing it's just going to stay there. Um, I love routine to make things automatic and easy. Um, still getting up early. Uh, I get up 3.30 to 4 in the morning. Um, I've been trying to escape email inboxes for the last like year and a half, two years. And I found that that period of time is when things are the quietest. Um, so I can just kind of shut everything out and focus on what I need to build and where we're going next. And and really get creative. 
Um, it does a number on my sleep schedule because I got to go to bed pretty early, but um, you know, start early, get some planning together, um, get to the gym by five. Um, and then back here, I'm plugged in, working straight through, you know, four or five, six, depending on the night. Um, thanks to you, um, tied into your other guest, Peter Selby, and we have late evening calls um, two or three times a week. We have very late evening calls th tonight. Um, and those pretty much happen every week as long as projects are underway. So yeah. start early, get all the thinking done, and then just power through when the, everybody else wakes up. So, I mean, I, if, if I was a good friend, I would have connected to just somebody that was in the same time zone. So you could, your schedule, you know, <laughs> schedule's a little better, but no, we had to go to the opposite side of the globe for sure. But I, um, you're, you're one he's of the so most smart though. He like, is, and, and you know what, he, he's amazing the same person. Thing about you. So it's, uh, it's a mutual admiration, but, um, one thing that, uh, that I've noticed since, you know, we, we met a few years ago and, and, and stayed connected is how networked you are across so many different verticals and not only that you're you're plugged into the like the whatever the zeitgeist is and you know the thing we hear all the time is is talking about chat gpt and ai and you know all these little catchphrases mm -hmm. that are going on right now i i am really curious because i you have a unique way of distilling down kind of the noise and really focusing mm -hmm. on okay what's the what's the real you know gears behind the curtain so to speak so i want to touch a little bit about you know what does it look like i mean elon musk what came out today and said hey you know the sky's falling you know we don't do this you know don't don't chase this too far and so i you know you you jump in wherever you think is the most you know germane entry point um, but just talk about that as related to kind of the, you know, the tech space and, and what everybody's facing right now. Yeah. I, Elon's one of the most gifted people on the planet. So always trying to figure out what's in his head. And this is just the kind of wild guess. Um, but there's two parts. First, we'll talk about um, what I think the AI of today really is, mm -hmm. um, or at least how I understand it, at least. It's not like the technology of it. And then second, what I think they mean by that announcement. Um, you know, so the first part, just the way that I understand AI, and this is from my own limited Python coding experience. I had to learn a little bit for Dash. Um, I, I think of modern AI, like your chat GPTs. I use WriteSonic. Um, I should join their affiliate program so we can plug them live and <laughs> get trophies, but amazing app if you want. Um, and I use u.com pretty exclusively for search now um awesome awesome bots all spin offs of the same concept um but i think of them as like you, you remember like the dewey decimal system and librarians yeah. like yeah. in the you know, what 40s through the 90s um i look at the current ai systems as like really really fast versions of that hmm. um so you know there's a conversational answer that comes back to you but it's really just ultra fast referencing model um, you know, so when it learns something, it figures out where the information belongs. Um, I know, I know some people are using it to write code. Again, it's referencing libraries and combining different libraries of code quickly, but um, it's not like approaching the point of like coming up with its own ideas or perspectives on things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks like it could get there, mm -hmm. um, you know, with enough data and they're moving super fast, which is why I think the notice came out. So with that being my understanding, it's it's like a next gen Google. It's not 
it's not this artificial mind. It's just a way more efficient way to find stuff on the internet. Yeah. Um, I think the reason why uh, Elon and all those other leaders came out with that notice um, was because they're concerned that we're moving so fast and releasing this technology to the public without explaining what it really is, that when it starts doing strange things, which inevitably new tech always does, mm -hmm. um, people will get scared. Um, and they'll get scared before they can really understand what it is and how to introduce it into their lives. And I think, you know, given what's happening in crypto, with like the government trying to shut down various pieces of it while simultaneously releasing their own version, um, you know, I think I think the public is not in a place where, you know, bots can do really creepy things and it can be washed under the under the rug. And I think until there's more of a shared understanding of what the technology really is and what it really knows and who it really threatens, there's a risk that, you know, it could be deemed unsafe and an yeah. adoption of the AI that Musk is building and all these other guys are actually bringing to life will be that much more difficult. Does that kind of make sense? Oh, no, no doubt about it. And I, and I, I think from a, like, the, the use case that I see over and over again seems to be content generation. You know, that's the, that's like the most common use of, you know, of chat GPT or whatever. So the idea, okay, it's writing my term papers. It's doing this. It's <laughs> yeah. social media College content. would be so great. <laughs> yeah. But the idea that, that it really is just a, an ultra fast curation of information that's out there. But it's, I mean, finding mm -hmm. the information is one thing. Actually putting it into a usable format is, is a whole different level. Um, that's where I think that this just has such a unique, it's just not like Watson's supercomputer power. It's, it actually can, you know, has an application feature on the back end of that, you know, to, to make it usable. Have you, have you used it yourself to write anything? No, just, I mean, just kind of scratch the surface playing with it a little bit. So yeah, I yeah. haven't really sat down and use that but so i don't i don't know when this is going to go live but um we're actually launching at the end of this week um as we're recording this we're launching like a portal um so i wrote eight eight different or nine different ebooks um about you know different marketing challenges folks deal with you know, for example one is this winning buy-in from your internal team on your plan so when you need their help they're already bought in on what you're doing um and the way i wrote all those was i i kind of like delivered an outline to write Sonic and had it generate its own perspective of content, um, like on the topics that I was referencing. And then I basically went in and rewrote all that. Um, and it did put in some body content and structure that was really interesting. But when you when you get into the, the niches, there are literal patterns that the paragraphs tend to follow. Mm -hmm. Different words, but you can see the machine trying to organize it mathematically <laughs> and spin words the way that they should uh, so again it's amazing and it's a very interesting way to write you're almost like editing something synthetic yeah. that was generated in a couple seconds but it's not close to what we do and it doesn't communicate like a clear emotional message like you and i can um and you know i don't think it's yes. fair to expect it to be able to do that <laughs> yet <laughs> exactly i think that's the concern of, of you know copy writers is the the idea that mm -hmm. you know hey I could wake up tomorrow and six months from now, it, it could have figured this out. You know, it could have, you know, go all how 2001 on, on us and, you know, the whole idea that that somehow it is teaching itself how to write better every time it writes yeah. that thing. So 
it yeah the language part for sure but it, it, how do you translate intent or desire into binary and maybe elon can answer that one but i think you know part of the reason why your podcast does well and you know people want to listen to you talk is because your interest focuses their interest and i think great journalists do the same thing you can kind of feel what they're interested in and they they can build up certain mm -hmm. things you know a bot has no reason to care about the content it's producing and you can tell it what to focus on, but it's still not going to attach any emotion to that because it doesn't know what that is. And I think we're a very long that, way away from that. Like, let's let's say that if you read everything Shakespeare ever produced, like if the if you know if the Chat GPT is reading everything that Shakespeare produced and somehow developed the style of writing, could that not somehow? incorporate the uh, the emotion into that as well just based on his style alone it could detect patterns for sure so like the on paper reproduction to someone who you know probably hasn't studied shakespeare would be pretty one-to-one -one. um good point but it's never going to be written with like tears and you know burning in the heart yeah like he wrote now, the analogy there is like film versus theater, like Broadway is still a huge deal. And I think mm -hmm. that's because certain things can't be communicated on screen like they can on stage. And I think writing's the same way. That is, uh, I, I, I think of, you know, when I, I look at, at uh, just the advances, it's the, the is it Moore's law that talks about, you know, storage capacity and technology advances mm -hmm. like every doubles every 18 months or something like that. I, Thinking this is almost like quantum Moore's law of you know <laughs> technology. I mean, it just seems like every week there's something new that's come out, and um, just trying to keep up with it. Just as a business, just a, as a business that is tech savvy, how in the world do you stay relevant in the tech space today, or can you? Yeah. Well, so I mean, Dash. There's definitely competition because the apps write amazing Python code. We use it ourselves. Um, and it can do a lot of the integration work that we can do. Um, but again, we, we built Dash as a service, not as a software tool, specifically mm -hmm. because that translation layer is what gets lost when people are buying from a BI tool. So give you an example, um, you know, a VP of marketing will be making a report at the end of the quarter. We're coming up on quarter end in two days. Um, to deliver up to their directors or you know board members, whoever they have to present to, and like they need to pull the data, which software can definitely do, but they need to make sure that it's framed in a way that reflects what they're focused on and their business's KPIs. And like yes, to an extent, there are like binary objective perspectives on those things, but it's going to be near impossible to explain to a bot how to frame things the way that you need them to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the companies we sell to buy our service because the bi tools they already own struggle with the same issue yeah so i think we've got a little bit of a moat there because it's cost effective to use dash and we had the perspective that bi tools can't i don't think that's at risk i think there's a huge advantage in that we'll be able to integrate a whole lot faster um, with lesser man hours in the future so we might even get more economical uh, for our customers in the near future What's, um, I mean, thinking back to the last few years of, of Dash's, you know, infancy, what, uh, what has surprised you about the launch of Dash that uh, you thought, you know, I, you thought this is a no brainer. And then all of a sudden you thought, well, that doesn't work at all. 
you know, or <laughs> versus something that you were not weren't expecting at all. It's just this this major, yeah, you know, benefit that just popped up that you thought, how could we couldn't yeah. have foreseen that one? So I've I've been reading about this a lot. This might make you laugh from previous uh, podcasts, but um, I've been reading about the fact that people would rather not make a decision than make the wrong one. So like, even when there's like a need to decide, they'd rather not make a decision at all than decide something that like reflects poorly on them. And what we didn't see coming with Dash, because the way we price the the system, um, we look at the cost, your manager's cost and their staff's cost um, that you spend generating a report, whether it's monthly or quarterly. And we try to price our entire solution into one month's worth of that. Um, and then it's automated forever. So it should be a no brainer for any company we're selling into, like you're going to pay them to do it or pay us to do it and get that value. It's, it's pretty mindless. Um, but even with that price parity, people still don't know what they want to put into the report. And that's what we didn't see coming. Like folks love the concept. There's always a need. Everyone hates pulling manual data and would love to automate it. Um, but when it comes down to deciding like what information are we automating? There's a lot of uncertainty. Like, mm -hmm. am I showing the right data? Is it going to change next week? Am I going to get in trouble for paying a software company to do it for me? Mm -hmm. um, so learning how to kind of circumvent those or make it easier for our customers, you know, to get sign off on what they're hiring us to do so they don't get blamed for it down the road. That, uh, that was a huge curveball. Could, I mean, can you take learnings from other clients and help future clients in that in that decision making process? I mean, is the, are there I guess are there universal, you know, decision making processes that that you could you could help? Like if I'm the CMO or the you know COO or whatever, I'm trying to onboard Dash. Could you help me think through that process based on yeah. a previous client you've worked with? Yeah, so we certainly do that, and we borrow a lot from Pinchforth too, because Pinchforth mm -hmm. made you know, hundred companies reports. Um, but I think the the way we've started to attack it is by aligning ourselves with the buyer, um, and helping them present it, you know, north inside of their organization. Um, so whereas before we were just you know, here's the setup, here's all your data, here's what it could look like. It, does that make sense? You make the buying decision. Um, now we'll put together a mock-up and we'll actually join them in sharing it with their organization um, to collect feedback and help them get the broader team excited. Um, so we can kind of divert liability on the decision away from them so they can get the productivity they want and um, kind of skirt the risk of getting blamed for installing something that you know wasn't quite what everybody needed. And from what I remember about the build, I mean, it is adaptable. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. it, it can pivot. Like if, if you set something in motion and then and three months later or six months later, they're saying, actually, we need to measure this as well. I mean, you can build that module into the into the process or build those yeah. additional yeah. measurements. So yeah, we can. I think into that too. For sure. The, the difference is that we're the ones who have to do the work. So it's not like um, a BI tool where you just drag a chart and then you have right. something new. It's all super custom. Right. Um, but it's still pretty easy for folks to ask for. Yep. And, and cost effective, what I remember for sure. But uh, yeah. it's, it's interesting. I, I want to kind of take the plane a little, little higher, a little, little higher altitude here. And it's uh, okay. something you mentioned earlier about just, you know, your typical day. But I know that you have your hands in a number of different things 
you know, then you work on a lot of these virtually every day. You know, it's not like you, you know, this is my pinch fourth day. This is my dash day. This is my, you know, whatever day. How do you balance mm -hmm. as the, as the CEO of, of these other, these ventures, how do you kind of balance? I mean, there's a lot of CEOs that can't balance one company and you're doing, you know, multiple, you know, companies. Little ones. <laughs> yeah, little one. But um, they still, I mean, even small companies have, have issues that you've got to deal with. And so how do you, how do you allocate time? Well, how do you make your employees feel like you're vested enough to be there and be available? And, and uh, what are, what are some things you've learned by trying to balance multiple companies? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's the, the people that you have around you that make that possible. It's really not something you can do yourself. Um, and that's something I butted heads with a lot. I think a lot of founders kind of struggle with that too, like reaching their own capacity and grappling with the fact that I really can't do another 10% or 15% here. Um, so when you, when you start to recognize that, you zero in on the things that you know you really do well, um, which are generally the things you love to do and you want to do, yeah. your mind kind of leads you there. Um, and then all the things that you don't, um, or you can't do very well, you try to find somebody who's a little more talented than you um, to bring into the fold and kind of handle those things. Um, with Pinchforth, I've been incredibly lucky. You know, people just kind of fallen into the team that are ridiculously talented in areas I'm not. And like, they're able to run a lot of the things that, you know, I'll either screw up or I can't do myself. Um, you know, Dash, same thing, like getting it off the ground. We had a product leader for the first couple of years. It was just unbelievable. Uh, and put us in a really, really strong position there. Um, and then with, you know, the other top secret ventures that we're working on, uh, we have partners, you know, some of which you connect me with that uh, kind of share in the leadership. So they're driving parts of the business. I'm driving parts of the business. Yeah. And, you know, we're all building towards something. So there's, you know, it's other people. That's the key. It's really not just me. I hire well and trust, delegate where you can, you know, outsource where yeah. you can, but that you've got to trust. I mean, you know, good leaders are, you know, they, what's the old adage says, you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Um, mm -hmm. But the whole idea of, you know, it, these do become our babies, you know, these things that you launch are, they become your, your children. And you're like, you know, I'm the parent, I'm the best person, you know, designed to lead this well. And it's hard to sometimes take your hands off of you know, the wheel, so to speak, and, and trust others to drive a little bit. But um, yeah. it is, it's interesting that the whole idea of, of it's like the e-myth, you know, working on your business versus in it. Because uh, it's mm -hmm. easy to, it's easy to get stuck in the, just the day-to-day the -day operations of whatever you're trying to build. But um, what else have been some lessons that you've learned over the years that you think would be really helpful to somebody that's a little further behind you in the journey that's just trying to get started and trying to lead well. What's a couple of other things that just come to mind that are just kind of leadership yeah. nuggets? Yeah, nuggets. Well, they're not from me, actually. The biggest life hack ever, um, and I found it from this guy on Twitter. It wasn't even anything business related, but um, I listen to uh, Audible books, mm -hmm. um, like business books in particular, while I'm at the gym in the morning. So um, you know, what hour and 15 hour, 20 minutes a day. So I'm going through like a, you know, a book and a half to two books a week. Yeah. Um, like between the gym and, you know, when I'm here walking the dog or something. Um, and the ideas you pull out of those, you can immediately deploy into your business is kind of like cheat codes. 
Um, so that's been amazing, just like absorbing more. I learn auditorially, so that helps a lot. Um, one big theme, like within those books that I've been reading a lot about is how, um, you know, a lot of the biggest challenges you face are, actually exist within your head, not within the business community or the business, mm. um, which is really fascinating paradigm shift. But um, there's, there's about a dozen books that talk about um, like how you get in your own way and how you engineer situations that create bottlenecks for your business. Um, I just finished one called The Big Leap that's pretty well known, um, but really, really great way of kind of explaining uh, how those things manifest. And I think particularly early on um, in a business when there's a lot of self-doubt and um, like you're uncertain about how you're going to deal with the surprises that will inevitably show up, um, like there, there are a lot of emotions that actually create the problems that you fear are coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so figuring out how to recognize those things and keep yourself out of your own way. Um, it's just amazing. And those are, those are really interesting takeaways. And, and I mean, I've done this for, I think we're in our seventh season, not then fifth year <laughs> of doing this podcast every week. But, um, I think that those are, those are the last two are, are pretty unique. You know, most of the time we're talking about, you know, just, Hey, hire well, fire fast. <laughs> you know, do this, do this, you know, do, here's the five, three-step formula of, of getting, you know, results done. And, uh, but, but uh, yours, I think is at a, at a more unique, deeper level. Um, just the whole idea of, I, I wrote down your biggest challenge may be you. <laughs> the, <laughs> the whole idea of, you know, how, how we can kind of overcome that, uh, that, that self-doubt, that questioning mind that we have for sure. But what's uh What's one thing that we haven't chatted about that that uh, has just kind of been on your mind and in uh, as you kind of go through your day and uh, just something that's happening in the world right now that that is something that's kind of caught your attention? Oh, there's so many. There's <laughs> so many big I things. Narrow it down. Um, yeah, let's not talk about. I was going to talk about crypto and the banking stuff, but let's not talk about that. Too sensitive now. Um, Energy is in, in a really fascinating place, I think, right now, um, because like the reality of the science behind, you know, petroleum and uranium and um, you know, the, the key baseload power sources that we have today and what's promoted um, on television and by the EU and whatnot are kind of coming to a head. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, consumers feel that and dramatically rising price points, but um, they also see that things go up and down pretty dramatically and, you know, might be scratching their heads as to why. Um, and I think what's going to happen in the next couple of years is a pretty rapid energy transition. Um, and I don't think it's going to go to electric the way that uh, the EU hopes it would and the U.S. would like it to. I think, um, you know, even if it is partially electric, I think hydrogen is about to make a big push. Um, you know, recent developments in fusion yeah. have been unbelievable. Um, and I think what, you know, Elon and, and Brunson and Bezos have been doing and trying to push us into space on a commercial level is going to kind of unleash maybe a fifth industrial revolution of, um, you know, us producing really, really ultra cheap, super stable energy um, that I hope resolves a lot of the you know, geopolitical conflicts that we're dealing right. with today. So right. it's one of those like unique periods of time where like technology can actually create a more equal and stable and fair world at the same time as you know, we launch into a you know, new territory. It'll be a lot of fun to see. That's on the mind a lot. We're working on that a lot. That's one of our secret projects, but 
really, really, really interesting space. I mean, it is. Uh, it is interesting that just the the I guess advances in hydrogen just recently. You know that you you kind of you're reading about, and and uh, it's almost like there's a there's like one last hurdle that has to be cracked for this to be just like almost mainstream. And it is so end of really interesting. I was gonna. We just found out end of year this year. It looks like um, there's a lab in China that will have a fuel cell that will produce um, energy on a one to one efficiency basis as a combustion engine. So you'll have like a hydrogen uh, fuel cell um, that can basically do what a gas engine can for the same quantity of water. Um, pretty pretty incredible space. That, that is incredible. That is that is certainly incredible. Well, my friend, it's always good to catch up with you. Thanks for taking time in your uh, your obviously your busy schedule. You you know anybody gets up at three thirty or four o'clock in the morning and, and gets after it, and then works a, a regular work day, you know, on top of that, and then catches up with people on the other side of the planet in the in the evenings is that's a busy man. So uh, thank you for taking time and just once again just sharing insights and and um, just really giving us just something to chew on you know after the fact and really just playing your part and helping all boats rise in a rising tide nick it's always good to catch up with you thanks again thanks kevin we hope you heard some great takeaways make sure you follow up with our guests today and show them the support they deserve as always thank you for listening and playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide